1: You know, somebody sing real good, ooh, they're anointed, you know, you get the chills, and then, uh, you know,
2: I was like, well, I was riding in the car, man, and I heard, you know, some Beyonce, and I got the same chills, like, is that, is Beyonce anointed?
3: Welcome to the Alisa Childers Podcast. My guest today is Dwayne Atkinson. He is the host of The Bar Podcast, the executive producer of a little podcast you may have heard of called The Just Thinking Podcast, which was, you know, number one for like ever on the (laughs) charts. How about that, Dwayne? Welcome. Welcome.
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is uh, almost a dream come true because I like watching your videos. So this is this is very nice. <laughs>
3: oh, thanks. Well, and I've gotten to be on your podcast and that was yes. fun. So for, for people who aren't familiar with you and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll get into our subject for today which is the New Apostolic Reformation.
2: Awesome. So again, my name is Dwayne Atkinson, uh, husband of one wife, father of four children, the opposite would be kind of bad, so we're gonna yeah. thank God for that. Um, and I'm just an ordinary guy, uh, by God's grace. Um, I started a podcast about four years ago, and from that podcast, uh, some other podcasts came about. One, like, uh, like, like was mentioned, a small little podcast called Just Thinking, where I'm the executive producer, um, and we we're just excited about what God is doing.
3: That's awesome. So it's been a while. It's been probably three years or maybe two or three years since I've talked about the New Apostolic Reformation, or NAR, as some people might have heard it referred to. Uh, We had Holly Pivick on as a guest. We had a debate between her and Doug Guyvett and Michael Brown about whether or not it actually exists, which I think (laughs) you're you're here to say, yes, it exists, because you were actually an apostle in the NAR. So I'd love to get some of your backstory. How did you get into the NAR? Were you raised in a Christian home. How did that all come about and then walk us through you becoming an actual apostle with the title. Sure.
2: Awesome. So, I did come from a Christian home. My parents were the uh the saved couple, you know, in the community and I grew up always going to church, always going to Sunday school. That was just part of life for me. Um, and took that, you know, prodigal son fall away, you know, uh, stage when I got to middle school, wanted to be cool, wanted to fit in. And um, God used a whole bunch of events to bring me back to him and I always tell people I fell on my on, on the floor at my mom's house on my knees. and I said, Lord, I'm messing my life up. Please, you know, please fix it. And I wish I could say when I got up, I, I said it was uh, happily ever after. Unfortunately, um, the place that I turned uh, once I gave my life to Christ officially was to TBN. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I did that is because I was an athlete and a musician. And so my first assumption was uh, the best pastors and preachers have to be on TV. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I I went that route, man, and I started to follow a lot of the the televangelists, and uh, fast forward a little bit, I met my wife uh, on MySpace. That dates me a little bit, um, and we—we <laughs> we, she actually was attending a huge mega church in Greenville, South Carolina, called Redemption World Outreach Center. And uh, the pastor there actually had the title of an apostle, and that's actually when I got introduced to uh, the office of apostle. You know, he was the apostle of the church and you know and always want to know like what did that mean you know what how did how did he become an apostle you know my back home it was pastor you know right so um we we were at the church um and and we were you know involved in everything and um you know I kind of questioned the apostle thing never really got far you know it was almost like they was trying to keep it from us and then me and my wife met a couple from Dallas um, that uh, you know did the whole dance ministry and the flags and all of that, and they were apostles. And um, we, me and my wife, actually hosted a conference for for dancers, and they came, and they was like you need to take our course, you need to take our uh, what is it fivefold ministry course. And so uh, during that five-fold ministry course, you're supposed to at the end. Be able to identify what your fivefold ministry gift is. And uh, after, I think it was about maybe three to four months of online conference calls, book studies, uh, actual papers, we had to write papers and turn them in. We went to this ceremony in Dallas where uh, during the ceremony they would release what your uh, fivefold ministry gift was. And me and my wife, Powerful ministry gift was apostle. And so we received a certificate. We got a, uh, a sash to go around our shoulders and we were released into the office of apostle. Wow. Um, and, and that was, that's pretty much how I got into it. Um, you know, I tell a lot of people uh, the whole NAR, there's a, a lineage, you know, C. Peter Wagner was one of the mm. first ones to bring it back. And then um, under him, he had a lot of what he called, he was the apostle of apostles. And then under him, he had apostles that released other apostles. And so it was C. Peter Wagner, and then uh, Chuck Pierce was actually the couple's apostle. And so we were like in the lineage of C. Peter Wagner, Chuck Pierce, this couple from Dallas, and then us kind Mm -hmm. of thing. And so that's how I got in it.
3: Okay. I want to ask you more about your experience Please. as an apostle, but before we do that, there might be people listening who maybe didn't listen to that other couple of episodes that I did on the NAR. Just just give us a working definition of what is the New Apostolic Reformation or the NAR as it's called.
2: Sure. So the whole name and idea kind of was coined by C. Peter Wagner. Um, they say in the Uh, 70s, the prophetic gift was restored. And so in the early 80s, late 90s, the apostolic gift was uh, restored. And see, C. Peter Wagner actually went to uh, seminary. And so that's why he taglined the Reformation, because he was familiar with Luther. And so he said that You know, this is the new apostolic, you know, apostles reformation, meaning this is the new era of modern day apostles. And so what that means is uh, they're talking about the actual gift of apostle or the office of apostle being reinstated into the church. Like a new wine skin is something they love to talk about or a, a new move or, you know, always something dealing with new because we didn't have those. If you look in church history, there were no apostles. You know, up until the 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 recent time. And so that's where the whole NAR new apostolic reformation come from.
3: Okay, so this is a movement that we're seeing. You were we're seeing it out of Bethel in Reading. We've talked a bit about that on the podcast before. Uh okay, so you are sort of anointed as this apostle. You have the certificate, you have the sash, and your wife as well. So you were were you both considered apostles? Both of you were. Yes. And so after they commission you, you take your class. After they commission you, what is your job, essentially?
2: So they had the whole idea of apostles in the marketplace. You know, your sphere is different. You know, it's not necessarily a sphere of, you know, being a pastor or, I mean, over a church or whatever, but whatever your influence is. And so um, immediately I try to figure out what my influence was. Like, you know, where do I fit in? How am I going to exercise my apostle, mantle, as they say. Mm. Um, And so really, I spent most of the time just searching, like, what what am I supposed to do, you know, besides having this title that uh, pretty much just uh, feeds my pride more Mm. than anything, you know, that's the biggest part about it. Um, And then, you know, uh, just try to figure out, you know, when you go to services and people recognize you, as an apostle but you know there's no for me anyway there was no like okay this is what I'm about to do or there was no commission to do this or do that it's like you have the title you and your wife are doing things and you know dance and and creative stuff and so that's your spear so that's kind of the way they send us off
3: Did the course did you pay for the course did you have to pay money Of course Yeah <laughs> <laughs> Okay course. I'm I'm course. seeing how this all works now
1: <laughs> Yes So you yes. pay your no, money Mm-hmm.
3: Okay, so you pay your money, you get your certificate, but there's but so is there is there a sense of authority that's attached to you as an apostle? like if you go into a church and you say, Hey, God is saying this, or you know, this is what God wants the church to do, would that church be obliged to obey that and to to listen to you or how how would that work?
2: so it 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 I mean technically, that's the way it's supposed to work if the church recognizes that um and at the time you know uh the church we were going to you know recognize that um but the thing about me which i guess is maybe same or different with some is i i always felt like it was a huge responsibility and so i didn't just throw around you know god said let's move the church five feet to the left you know i didn't Mm -hmm. do anything like that but if if i spoke at a church that recognized that gift, then yes, they would, you know, take it in hard consideration, being that I was quote unquote an apostle.
3: Because if I understand right, in the NAR, it, whether this is officially acknowledged or not officially acknowledged, apostles are essentially the governing body of the churches right. that at least would recognize that that is the case. Is that right?
2: Yes. Yeah, that's that's normal, uh, I guess, perspective of the apostle, you know, governing body, um, you know, trailblazer, you know, headship and the whole like, you know, visionary uh, when it comes to, you know, the church.
3: So did you ever believe that you heard from the Lord for a church and give those words or did you work with a prophet or how did that work?
2: <laughs> so uh, I didn't work with a prophet. Um you know, if, I did, uh, you know, felt like I heard from God about certain things, but it never was, um, uh, I guess, anything, I don't know, anything major, you know, because my, my sphere or influence was more on the creative and media mm-hmm. side. So that's where, you know, I kind of gave some oversight, um, but but never, I mean, it, it seems minuscule, but at the end of the day, it's still detrimental to try to, you know, have that kind of authority in church, you know, when it's not really given. Mm.
3: So obviously at some point, God started leading you out of this movement. So walk us through that. How, How did that come about? And I'm sure there was a cost for you. So maybe talk a little bit about that.
2: Sure, 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 sure. So um, like I told you, it, it always felt like a burden, you know, when, when you're in front of the people the whole, you know, facade, you know, you, you, you kind of front, as we say, you know, you act like you have it all together. But when you're, when you're by yourself is when the burden really sets in and you're thinking, you know, okay, God, you know, I, cause you think about your sin, you know, because I, I used to think, okay, when I become an apostle, I'm gonna stop doing this and this, you know, mm-hmm. things that I struggle with. But those struggles didn't go anywhere, you know. Those were still things that I had to deal with, and so um, it it that that kind of was the the humbling part. Like, okay, is this really, you know, is this really a thing? And then it took, you know, of course, YouTube videos, uh, people calling it out. Um, mm. I always shout out um, uh, Justin Peters when I first saw him. I thought it was like, man, he just mad because he's not healed, you know. Oh yeah. <laughs> You know, but um, but hearing people call it out and then actually investigating it myself, you know, looking at scripture. You know, one of the ones that really hit me hard was a guy was preaching. He was talking about the apostles and prophets being the foundation. And, you know, like how is there modern day apostles? The foundation is on the ground. You know, Jesus is the cornerstone. We don't put a foundation on the second floor. And that pierced me like I mm-hmm. really was like, hmm. That that's what the word says, you know, because, you know, the word is the authority. I, I always believed that even when, you know, I had the the title or whatever. Um, So, you know, just getting those um, pu- getting pushback and then just kind of looking into it myself, you know, to see if what they were arguing was uh is valid, you know, because, of course, I want to give a response. And then if I'm looking and I'm like, ooh, like I, I kind of see where they're coming from, <laughs> you yeah. know um and and, as far as the cost for me, um not so much, just because, um I mean, of course, you know people, I mean, people to this day still kind of slip up and call me that in the South Carolina area mm. uh, because I didn't really force or push you know the whole idea. Um it was more or less like I, I've had conversations with, hey guys, i don't you don't call me apostle, you know, I never saw Jesus ascend. You know, I can't perform miracles, you know, uh, all of these things, man. So, you know, let's, let's cool that. So I never really got major pushback. Plus the actual people that released us were in Dallas. And so it was kind of easy to, to disconnect there. Mm.
3: So you mentioned Justin Peters and for anyone who's unfamiliar with Justin, he, he calls this stuff out a lot. Did If I understand right, he came out of that type of environment himself or no?
2: So he actually, as a young, young, young man uh, suffering from cerebral palsy, uh, you know, his neighbor was into that stuff. So he actually uh, was trying to drag Justin in and Justin, you know, kept going to all the meetings and nothing was happening. Mm -hmm. He still was crippled. And so that's what kind of, you know, motivated him to to be a person to stand up and, and call it out.
3: So when you were in this movement, when you were an apostle, if you, because you kind of mentioned this when you were talking about Justin Peter making videos and you just assumed, well, it was just disgruntled because he wasn't healed. Yep. If you came across somebody who wasn't healed, who had a physical sickness, uh, what would have been your explanation for that?
2: Um, well, you know, unfortunately, you always put it on their faith. Mm. Uh, you know, you, you put it back on them and you're trained to pretty much do that. You know, like, you know, you have the power and authority and you, you know, you speak it and you lay your hands, but they have to have faith to receive it. You know, um, mm-hmm. and so, you know, I I've done the whole, you know, I guess you I don't even know if it's a parlor trick, but the whole headache where you put your hand on somebody's head and you pray and, you know, you tell them to be healed. And, oh, I feel better. But, you know, when it's a real something physical that you can see, yeah, it, you just, you kind of blame it on them and say, hey, they don't have enough faith. Yeah.
3: Okay, so for people who are listening or watching and they're wondering if, you know, maybe at their church they might be seeing signs of this, what are some hallmarks of the NAR uh, that that for people who are just totally unfamiliar with it, what how sure. could they spot this coming into their churches?
2: Yeah, and, and that's the thing. It's creeping in to a lot of uh, orthodox uh, churches. And, you know, the first telltale sign for me is, you know, when all, everything points to a new move, a new word, you know, a new wine skin. you know, could it, what they're trying to do is they're trying to condition your mind to accept something new. And then, you know, then another hallmark always is when someone comes in, the pastor brings them in and they have the t- title of apostle, or a prophet, um, that's always a a red flag to let you know that, okay, this, he's probably looking at something different or reading something different. Um, but yeah, those are the two things. If, if there's a lot of messages about a new move or a new wine skin or, or God is doing something new today. And then the whole, you know, who invite who in who he invites in? You know, mm-hmm. they have that title. Then you're like, okay, all right, here we go.
3: <laughs> is this yeah? Is this we hear a lot about this third wave? Is that connected to Nar? Do you think?
2: Yeah, yeah. So um, I remember because uh, apparently, you know, the third wave has supposedly happened, um, but it was. Um, trying to remember the exact, but I remember when that was kind of like a thing, like, you know, the, the third wave of the Holy Spirit coming and releasing, you know, the, the new apostles and prophets and things like that. Yeah.
3: So uh, from what you've described, there could be people thinking, well, that doesn't sound that bad, you know, God doing something new. Why is that wrong? So <laughs> maybe you can help us understand why, why is this the teaching of the NAR dangerous uh, to Orthodox Christianity, historic Christianity?
2: Sure. So the first place, you know, that I look, man, is the sufficiency of Scripture. You know, when we look at the Bible, the Bible gives us clear definition and clear description of an apostle, of a prophet you know uh it gives us i mean crystal clear because i think god even did this on purpose like they did the whole showing when whenever judas died and they had to replace them they was like okay who who can fit in Judas' shoes you know you have to be walking with the disciples you have to you know do this do that they gave the requirements right there and um and whenever you try to make an exception when scripture makes something clear, that's always dangerous to the church. Cause it, what that does is that devalues the, the word and then also the, the dangerous part is it feeds into pride. And I mentioned that earlier, mm-hmm. you know, it's all about, you know, being up, uplifted and, and, and making people feel small, you know, people don't understand when they lift themselves up, sure. You feel good, but people that, you know, can't hear from God or can't lay hands and they feel like they're not sufficient or they're, you know, God don't love them or God's not talking to them, you know? So those are just the major two, you know, things that I can see right off just to, the decrease of the value of scripture, mm. and then just the bondage of just ordinary people that love God mm. that just feel like they can't be enough, or they're not enough for them.
3: That's a great point because one of the things I've noticed, uh, of course, you know, my my world is more in the critiquing of. The movement of progressive christianity which takes on a bit of a different flavor but i have you know touch points with the nar in my experience and in my life and one of the things that i've observed is if you go on youtube and you can watch videos of all of these guys that are connected with the nar connected with bethel redding and and some of these places that are promoting these ideas and what you'll see is you can watch them go from place to place and whether it's a prophet or an apostle. And essentially, they'll prophesy over that place the same exact thing that they prophesied over the place just before. I mean, they will literally use the same language. God is going to release... Yes, God is going to release a revival right here in this church that's gonna spread out from this city. The leaders of this church are in some way an, an apostle or a prophet as well, and they'll kind of boost their pride a little bit. And then nothing happens, but they go on to the next place, and they do it, and they've been doing it for 20 and 30 years. And and I think that's why the point you bring up about uh, how dangerous this can be for ordinary Christians. And when I say ordinary, I mean that as a compliment. I mean people who are just faithful, (laughs) reading their Bible, praying to God, serving their their community, doing what Jesus wants them to do. There's nothing ordinary about that or or bad. that's, That's the kind of disciples that Jesus wants us to make. This this really kind of exciting movement that everybody wants to get in on, I think you're right. It stokes the pride and it really stokes the emotional element. So help us understand even too, because I've heard Kosti Hinn speak on this a little bit too, about how even with the music and the, the oh, yeah. hype, how does that all play into kind of keeping people sucked into this?
2: Yeah. I mean, so that, and that, that is the key to deception is emotion. Mm. Uh And the way that, you know, it all circles together, like Coxie talked about with his uncle, you know, setting the theme because, you know, with the apostles we dealt with, it was all the same thing with setting the mood with the music and getting the, you know, dancers and then the songs, everything going in the same direction. Because, you know, I always tell people, I have a a funny story out, you know, growing up, we say, you know, somebody sing real good. Ooh, they're anointed, you know, you get the chills. And then, uh, you know, I was like, well, I was riding in the car, man, and I heard, you know, some Beyonce, and I got the same chills. Like, is that, is Beyonce anointed? She was talking about sex. Like, I don't get it. Yes, (laughs) yes. You know, and so, you know, that whole idea of the music, you know, causing that emotion. Uh, but yeah, NAR, they, they use all of the tricks in the bag. I mean, the emotion um, and, and you talk about going from place to place, doing the same prophecy and, and, and declaring them apostles. Pretty much what they're doing is they're creating their pyramid. It's a mm, pyramid. Oh. I can't make you an apostle and then you give me your first fruits. Every month, then I go to this church, I make them apostles, they give me their first fruit. You're just creating this pyramid for yourself. That's pretty much what it boils down
3: Now, when to. you say first fruit, do you mean like talent or are you talking money?
2: I'm talking money. It's always money. It's always money.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Okay, so I'm curious to ask you this because you mentioned that you were more on the creative side of things with dance and music, and of course I'm a musician, I'm a singer, and this is something I'm always thinking through myself and I'd love your opinion because what I I don't want to do is manipulate the atmosphere when I'm singing or I'm singing worship. Uh, I wonder what would be your thoughts on the appropriate way to, to do music in church and in worship and how Christians can use their talents for the Lord in that way without creating this manipulative atmosphere that basically where I think it also, and this is a point Costi made too, when you have three hours of this really emotional worship, you get really tired too, and your inhibitions mm-hmm. go down when you're tired. So what do you think is the appropriate way to, to go about doing that stuff?
2: Sure. Well, I think honestly, when it comes to worship, I mean, because like I said, the emotion is going to be the same, whether you're singing about Jesus or singing, you know, something else, your body reacts to that just on an emotional level. I think the biggest thing is is just the lyrics, you know, what you're actually saying, you know, because I get excited, you know, I I love, you know, singing. I still get excited. Um, But I think what separates the manipulative side is what you're actually saying when you're actually singing you know scripture based lyrics um and then also placement you know if you're not putting it in a place where you know right before the offering you know you you know we're going to sing this song right here so mm. we can get you know people excited about giving you know i think all of that has to be considered because it's been considered on the opposite side of it mm. you know i I when I was at the mega church they planned everything like they plan what song, what order, you know, it has to be right here because we get more offering when we do this song right here. And, you know, so if they're doing that, I think if you're trying not to be that, you have to be as strategic as well as like, okay, we want to glorify God. We want the lyrics to glorify God. We want the timing of the song to glorify God. You know, we don't, we don't want to try to manipulate nobody. You know, people will get excited. You're not going to change that because it's, it's music, it's the way God made us. But we just want to make sure that we're conscious of it, like you said, uh, that we're doing it just for God's glory and not for our glory or not for any uh, outside, um, you know, concessions or whatever.
3: Uh, You've mentioned now, you mentioned offering, you know, the timing sometimes in these churches that can be really favorable to people giving more money. And then you've mentioned several times the course costing money and the first fruits and all of this. So what is the connection between NAR teaching and what, you know, you might refer to as the prosperity gospel.
2: Oh, it is married. <laughs> gotcha. It is intertwined. Um, the thing about NAR, uh, I think, I can't remember who said it. There was like, you know, when you try to nail it down, it's like nailing jelly, you know, to mm. the wall. It touched so many things, you know, um, so many things from, like I said, prosperity um, you know, word of faith. I mean, it touches so many aspects and that's how it's able to creep into uh, more orthodox churches because that it, it has so many faces, mm. you know, where it, it can, you know, come in and get people excited and, you know, but at the end, we're going to take up an offering or come in and get people excited, you know, and, you know, decree that this place. Like you said earlier, you know, this church is blessed. You're in the season of blessing, you know, so it, it touches everything. It is directly connected with uh, prosperity gospel, uh, intertwined, if you ask me. Mm-hmm.
3: So uh, we mentioned this a bit earlier that I had a debate on my podcast about whether or not the NAR even <laughs> exists, because there are people who claim, <laughs> you're already laughing, I love it, people who claim that it's it's a myth. And, and I think the case that's made is people will say something like, look, this isn't a movement of people that are all united. This is just, you know, you're you're just quoting random charismatic leaders and you're trying to lump them all together into this thing called NAR. And, and it's slippery because some of these people who are so obviously affiliated with it will deny that it exists and deny that they're a part of it. So how would you address those claims?
2: Um, I'll tell them to look up the clip, uh, Ty Bentley Becomes an Apostle. When uh, C. Peter Wagner had about nine guys, including um, Chuck Pierce, on stage with him. This is the new apostolic reformation. These are modern day apostles. I mean, that, that's my short answer, but yeah. well, <laughs> because it, it, it's in front of your face right there. You yeah. Know? Yeah. It's not like they didn't claim to be this, they were all on stage, and we're going to. We're gonna release this to Ty Bentley. That's pretty much what happened. You know? Yeah,
3: and didn't the phrase originate with C. Peter Wagner? Didn't he coin that yes. phrase?
2: He, yes, he claims it. I have, I have the book. Still got them. Yeah. Yep.
3: Yeah. So yeah, I don't know where that comes from. I guess maybe just a, a desire to defend charismatic leaders. I don't know. I don't, where do you think it comes from? Why people try to say it doesn't exist?
2: Um, because because of the stigma. Um, mm. You know, anytime you put a name on something, you you know, people want to figure out ways to to worm worm out of it. You know, because you know, like like Bill, um, you know, he would say that he was he. When you ask him, he would say, "Depends on who's listening." He's not an apostle because he hasn't been, you know, the the, the whole full. Are you talking about Bill
3: Johnson? Bill Johnson from yes. Bethel? I'm sorry,
2: yeah, Bill Johnson, yeah, yeah. So he he would in certain circles he'll say, "No, I'm not," you know, because he hadn't had the whole, you know, ceremony. And then on other other settings, he'll say, you know, he is because you know somebody released that gift to him, you know. Hmm. So. They use it when they want to use it, when they don't want to be lumped into it, because it, like I said, right now it has a stigma. You know, more people are learning about it. And and if you you put a name to it and you associate people with it, yeah, they'll deny it, you know, in, mm. in order to keep their name out of it or to keep from being in somebody else's YouTube video.
3: So you mentioned uh, a bit earlier how it's creeping in to otherwise orthodox churches, Why do you think that it's so appealing to people? Why is this taking off in in what seems to be just a massive influence in the church?
2: Sure. So, I mean, first, you know, for me, like my my whole journey, I thought like, okay, this is the next level in God. You know, every step I took, I thought, okay, I'm going to a new level. My parents, they don't know. They just Baptist. They don't know nothing. You know, they, they they stuck in that. You know, so I think the appeal of something new first of all, and then just, you know, it goes back to pride, man, the mm. aspiring to become, you know, something great, you know, pastor does, it, it's lost its luster. I need to be an apostle, you know? So it, it's, I think those are the two things, you know, the, the pride and then just uh, the appeal of something new mm. is what really, uh, sucks a lot of, you know, Orthodox Church is in.
3: I remember reading something several years ago, and I've since looked for the link and I couldn't find it, so I wouldn't even begin to be able to tell you who this was, although it was... I remember it was shared very widely and accepted by a lot of people that we would say are associated with the NAR. And basically what this blog post or this article was saying was that there's basically like five or six levels of Christianity. So -hmm. the first level would be just your basic getting saved kind of level. And then you go to another level where you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Then you go to another level where you, you have some other kind of layer of enlightenment or some kind of place mm-hmm. you achieve. Then this is what I actually laughed out loud when I read it because the fourth level was when you start watching Bethel TV and you start watching some of the, you know, these these kinds of uh, YouTube channels and that's when God really gives you this enlightenment and then this the, the final level, the author was saying, he's there, but not a lot of other people are. So this level that's even beyond this fourth level of watching Bethel TV and all of this stuff, I do understand. I understand mm-hmm. there are people, you don't want to miss out on everything God has for you. And I, I don't mean sure. to make anyone feel bad because they want all of God, and, and I can see yeah. why it could be tempting and, and Persuasive and deceptive for people, certainly. But but it's like it's all these different levels that are certainly not found in the Bible. The Bible is not telling you that, you know, if all you're doing is reading your Bible and praying and living for Jesus, that's that's somehow a lower level of Christianity. And so that's something they create. Yeah, ground level, Um, basic saved package. (laughs) I don't know what you (laughs) would call it, but but you know, it's just it's so sad because you see you mentioned the word bondage. It like it puts people in. Bondage, because it, it puts it all on them. Like I have to work harder, I have to do more, I have to achieve these levels that um, that Jesus never never put on, put on us. The Bible doesn't put on us, nope. and so um, yeah. So I, I think that it can be appealing for that reason because they think, well, I've not gotten to that that next level in my relationship. I've even seen interviews from people in this movement where you can see when when they're being interviewed, the person interviewing them is just like, oh, it's such an honor to have you here because you have so much of the Holy Spirit with you. And so essentially, I feel like just being in the room with this person is gonna bring them closer Mm -hmm. to God or something along those lines. So it really does put the focus, I think, on people. It promotes that whole celebrity culture and the platform and all of that. So um, okay, so this is a question I'm dying to ask you because like I mentioned, so much of my work is interacting with and critiquing the movement of progressive Christianity because that's essentially where my faith was challenged and right. I've had so many people ask me about the things that NAR might have in common with progressive Christianity and it's they're they're different they take on different sort of you know progressive Christians aren't largely going to affirm the prosperity gospel even though right. they kind of end up doing a similar thing just not with that language but what do you think is the link if there is one between nar and progressive christianity because i've also noticed people often will confuse the two so sure. so what do you think about that
2: so i mean the like you said progressive is is a little different you know as opposed to you know nar that there's not a lot of direct connect when it comes to the two um, just because, uh, like, I don't see unless the, the progressive person is leaning, like you said, you know, prosperity, you know, I can see that. Or if the, the new apostolic person is going, you know, trying to think more outside the box of Christianity, you know, so those those roads are kind of narrow between those two. Mm-hmm. Um, they can link, but it, it takes an extreme of one or the other. Interesting. Um, yeah. But, but, but what I would definitely say is uh, a lot of people lump them together because they don't have a good understanding of of either one. Mm-hmm. You know, and that that's something I learned when interviewing Holly was a lot of people just misunderstand. You know, and that's probably why a lot of them say that I'm not in the NRA in yeah. New York because you know so much lumping together goes together whenever it's something opposite of what they already believe or or something opposite of. Orthodoxy, they try to lump them together. So a lot of the people that try to put those two together don't have a real clear understanding of what each one stands for.
3: Yeah, I think that's right. I think they just see error and they don't know what yep. to call it, and so they're just they're kind of scrambling. Like, what is this? Well, I'm curious to ask you in the NAR, what is the view of the Bible? How would they how would they teach to view Scripture, and then how do they actually view it? How does that play out in the practical realm?
2: Sure. So i mean they teach that you know the word is inerrant um but you know the fact that you have modern day apostles whose word should have the same authority as scripture then you know that that's almost like an oxymoron you know mm. is this god's breath word if so it said within itself that it is complete it is full you know don't add mm. don't take away but then i'm an apostle and my words have the same weight and scripture that just, it don't go together. So they teach it, but the practice is definitely not there.
3: So I wonder too, as I've thought this through about trying to find if there are connecting points between progressive Christianity and NAR, It it would definitely start with the view of the Bible because whereas progressives are not going to say the Bible is inerrant, they're going to be probably more honest about saying, you know, we're not going to view all of this as the Word of God. Whereas, you know, in NAR churches, they're going to say, no, it's inerrant, it's the Word of God, it's fully authoritative and all of that. But in practicality, though, in NAR, it seems like you're adding so much to it. And then in progressive Christianity, you're taking so much of it away. And so, in effect it really comes down to the view of biblical authority it just seems like in both camps there's not a high enough view of biblical right. authority and then the other one i wanted to ask you about where i've noticed possibly some touch points again taking on sort of different forms would be this area of mysticism because in the progressive church you have there's a very there's a very strong practical element in the progressive church with the social justice movement and all of that stuff mm-hmm. but there's also this this sort of bent toward contemplative prayer, toward meditative, Mm -hmm. contemplative practices going into the mystics and the mysticism. So how do you see mysticism playing into NAR? Because it definitely seems like there's something to that just might look a little different than it does in the progressive church.
2: Yes. Yeah, no, there's definitely a connection with mysticism. Um, You know, I've actually heard stories Of uh of of apostles saying that they uh wasn't feeling good and so he didn't go to the church to preach and then he kept getting calls saying, Oh, you preached the place down, as if he transitioned. or what do they call astro projected uh, or something? Yeah, as if he astro projected wow. and did the service and then you know, but he was home, you know. So uh with In effort to seem and sound more spiritual or deep, they tap into some mysticism and some ideologies uh, like that um, just to, again, you know, lift themselves up, you know, Mm -hmm. to to make themselves look like they're, you know, just floating on air and, you know, and all of that stuff.
3: Did you follow the uh, the story? It was tragic. It was heartbreaking, honestly. Uh, but maybe a year ago, with the Wake Up Olive hashtag, were you following that? Oh uh,
2: yes, yeah. I, I remember ta- uh, seeing that, and yeah, like you said, just kind of, kind of heartbreaking.
3: Yeah. So for people who are not familiar, uh, about a year ago, one of the worship leaders from Bethel had, a, I believe, a four-year-old daughter who died in her sleep. And uh, so the the daughter's body was at the morgue, but every night they were at Bethel having these um, increasingly more uh, worked up prayer meetings every night with the hashtag trending on social media, wake up Olive, because they truly believed that the word of the Lord had spoken, that this little girl was going to be raised from the dead. And the reason I brought that in here is because when I was observing some of the the meetings they were having, and again, I I say this with such soberness because I I know how heartbreaking it is to lose a child, and I'm not taking that lightly at all, but we saw this increase of this mysticism night after night as they were working things up and working things up to try to get this miracle from God, and um, and it just it, what it seemed to me like was it was just so deeply rooted in an unbiblical type of mysticism to where yep. we have to work this up as if the Holy Spirit is just kind of coldly waiting until mm-hmm. you perform good enough yep. or, or something along those lines. And so eventually, I believe six or seven days into it, they finally realized that it, it wasn't going to happen and they buried her. But I think that was a huge wake-up call for the greater church. Culture to understand what's actually going on inside this exactly. movement because I I remember seeing that and going this can't be this can't be real and it was and I mean yeah. people were joining in support from all over the country and and even parts of the world and so I donating think just money yeah donating money and and I think this is a again just. Uh, one of the practical things that we can look at and see, you know, this is dangerous. This is something that hurts people. This is, you know, we hear in progressive Christianity, people losing their faith because they think they were supposed to have a miracle that never really happened. So, right. um, so Dwayne, how can the church combat these errors? What can we do uh, to to insulate our churches from some of these ideas coming in?
2: Sure. So, I mean, we we've touched on it several times. You know we have to maintain a very high view of scripture um god's word the authority of, of christ has to be high mm. view when it comes to the word of god uh inerrant um scripture because if that happens whenever you keep scripture high you can keep out bad theology bad ideology because as soon as something comes in that goes against the, the word you're like oh no it's here no uh uh-uh. uh. you know when that pa- that apostle calls and say hey let me come preach at your church you know i'm apostle such and such well wait a minute scripture says you know these are the apostles mm. you know scripture said that these gifts you know uh, uh have ceased or or whatnot so th- those are some of the things you have to keep high is just the, the view of scripture that's mm. the number one top way and that is the pastor and the elder's responsibility to do so. They have to guard the people because the people are gullible. Like we talked about people, mm-hmm. you know, they, they can be swayed because they, they see something and, and it builds an emotion or they want to be something, you know, so a pastor has to stand guard and, and stand at the, the hedge and, and protect the flock from, yeah. from uh, just that false teaching.
3: That's good stuff. And and even so, even if somebody is a continuationist in the sense that they believe that the gifts of the Spirit have continued, there's still a difference even, I think, between that and the office of apostle and prophet, which is a whole other kind of level of of adding to things. And so um, we're going to continue with uh, Duane in our subscriber portion for the Patreon supporters. So if you want to see the rest of this interview, we're going to go for another five or ten more minutes. You can go to patreon.com. Slash Alisa Childers and select tier four for that exclusive bonus content with each guest. You can peruse other tiers as well. You can select tier two for early access to podcasts. There's a private Facebook group you can be a part of at tier three. So take a look at those and check those out. But, Duane, as we close out this segment here, what encouragement would you give to Christians who feel so confused by so many of these false messages that they see? I mean, whether it's progressive Christianity or NAR. Or even some kind of a Mormon cult coming at them with with deception, deceptive ideas, and things that can be so confusing. What encouragement would you give our our listeners today?
2: Um, so there's a, a famous line uh, in uh, the movie Three Hundred, and it and it says, "Hold the line." Mm. Uh, when it comes to your your stance, your you know what what you believe in. Hold the line in that line of scripture. Um, one of the things whenever I talk. know to anybody whether it's a mormon or a uh black hebrew israelite one of the things is a non-negotiable for me and this is what you're gonna have to remember jesus christ is the son of god came onto this earth lived the perfect life died on the cross for my sins and rose again and is seated at the right hand of the father that is a non-negotiable no matter what doctrine what idea comes your way if you stand on that, if you hold the line when it comes to that, then you won't have nothing to worry about.
3: That's a good word there, Dwayne. Thank you for that. And I want to thank Dwayne for being on the podcast today. Check out his podcast, The Bark Podcast and Just Thinking Podcast, which is another great one. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next
2: time.